discuter de tout ça. I don't want to set the world on fire. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Good evening, good afternoon, or good morning, whenever it may be, wherever you may be, and however you may be hearing my voice. Whether it be via download through one of the many podcast platforms, or if you are listening to the premiere on the Alternate Current Radio's live stream, I appreciate you tuning in and joining me as we attempt to navigate the shark-infested waters of the agenda-centivized media and look past the propaganda. This is your daily dose of what's currently all the ruckus. What in God's name is going on in here? What was that ruckus? Uh, what ruckus? I was just in my office and I heard a ruckus. Could you describe the ruckus, sir? Watch your tongue, young man. Watch it. Kids need to play this summer, not catch up on school. According to Nicholas Tampio, writing for the Washington Post, The global pandemic has taken its toll on families and children. Children have not been able to engage in their normal routines, sit in a classroom with friends and teachers, visit extended family, or participate in social activities without a mask. Most parents are more concerned about their children's emotional well-being than they were before the pandemic, a Pew Research Center survey in the fall found, and that situation may have grown more dire as children have spent much of the school year online and maintaining social distance from other people. Facing this year of loss, Democrats in Congress have framed the problem as primarily one of lower projected test scores, and their solution is to make kids in high-poverty schools spend the summer inside preparing for standardized tests. This is exactly the wrong approach to the sadness and loss of the COVID era. This summer, children need to do self-initiated activities that are rewarding for their own sake. This will create happier children now and, as research has shown, lead to improved physical, cognitive, social, emotional, and creative outcomes later in life. Pediatricians have been making a powerful case for the immediate and long-term benefits of play. A 2018 article in the journal Pediatrics called The Power of Play defines play as, quote, an activity that is intrinsically motivated, entails active engagement, and results in joyful discovery, end quote. The authors explain, quote, play is part of our evolutionary heritage and gives us opportunities to practice and hone the skills needed to live in a complex world, end quote. And what happens when children do not have a chance to play? They don't have a safe way to release toxic stress and may lash out with antisocial behavior. By focusing on academic achievement rather than play, young people often develop anxiety, depression, and a lack of creativity. The article argues, quote, play may be an effective antidote to the changes in amygdala size, impulsivity, aggression, and uncontrolled emotion that result from significant childhood adversity and toxic stress, end quote. Even more than usual, it would seem, children in the pandemic era need a chance to play before they resume their formal education in the fall. WashingtonPost.com 
To be honest, folks, I'm so far removed in years from my own childhood that I almost forget what it was like to play. But for me, and in the era I grew up in, toys were still a big deal. And who among us didn't enjoy sitting down in front of the television watching some cartoons? But kids these days, in the pandemic era, the new normal, exactly what kind of toys do they play with? What kind of cartoons are they watching? Would the toys I played with when I was a kid and the cartoons that I used to watch be acceptable in this day and age? Well, let's try to figure all that out, shall we? You're listening to Alternate Current Radio. I'm Adam Clark, and this is The Daily Ruckus. All right, before we get into the fun stuff, there's a very important question we need to address. Should you make kids pay bills to help them learn about money? From Yahoo, the value of money is an imperative lesson to learn at any age. But one mum's technique has divided parents. TikTok user at Felicia Ray Farley posted a quote-unquote parenting hack to the video sharing platform, explaining why she was giving her seven-year-old daughter money for doing chores and why she was making her daughter pay bills with the money she earned. In the video, Felicia says, quote, Every week my daughter has a list of chores. If those chores are completed daily, she will get $7 at the end of the week. She is then required to pay bills for living in the house. $1 each for food, water, electricity, internet, and rent. So in total, she pays $5 for bills. She has $2 left over, which she can keep and save or spend. Felicia then explains that the money she takes for bills is being put into a savings account for her daughter, who will be able to access this when she is 18. While some users praised the idea as genius, others said that Felicia's kids are way too young to be paying bills. However, Dr. Amanda Gummer, child research psychologist and founder of the Good Play Guide, says making your kids pay bills is a good approach to teaching them about money. Summer says, quote, especially if you can make it a playful challenge rather than charging them for living, it can work. And it's also a good way of encouraging children to turn off lights, not waste water, and be mindful of all the resources that we use day to day, which come at a cost, end quote. Gummer adds that parents should start teaching their kids about money as early as possible. Quote, parents can start with their children earning things and any currency works. This can be an extra story at bedtime, time watching a favorite show, or playing on a device, it doesn't have to be money. Start with something small, but it's about giving children a work ethic that shows them that they get rewards for doing things that benefit others. Try to make it relevant and relatable where possible. A young child won't have the skills to understand how much things cost, so earning counters and putting them in a jar to save up for small things is a good start. As children get older, encouraging them them to save up for things they want and earn money towards them helps them develop good habits. You can also teach them about credit. If they save up for something and buy it outright, it is cheaper than getting it straight away and having to earn off the balance. End quote. Gummer warns against giving kids money for behavior that is expected. Quote, there's a certain amount of cooperation that is required within a family, so children shouldn't get rewarded for behavior or activity that is expected. And it's 
okay to give children jobs that they do as part of being in the family without payment. The payment for chores works well when they are doing things they would normally not be expected to do. Things that maybe you'd consider paying someone else to do. End quote. Examples of this could be helping with DIY or a spring clean or helping with work projects that can benefit the whole family. Gummer adds, quote, rather than just putting their own clothes away or tidying their bedroom, which is something they would do as part of their daily routine in any case, end quote. Ultimately, it's a decision that should be made by each individual family. But even if kids aren't earning pocket money, the value of money should still be taught from an early age. Yahoo.com. Uh, other than the having to pay for bills, this sounds a lot like something we used to do called allowance. Ah yes, allowance. I certainly remember that. The money I got from doing chores around the house, as well as any money maybe the tooth fairy had given me, plus all the wads of bills inside of birthday cards from distant relatives, would usually go to one thing and one thing only. Toys! And if you were a kid growing up when I did, and you had a little bit of extra money to spend on toys, there was only one place you wanted to go. Of course, as you may well be aware, Toys R Us, founded in June 1957 by Charles Lazarus, suffered a seemingly fatal blow by the biggest brick-and-mortar killing giant on the planet, Amazon. And that was before the pandemic. In fact, the company filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection on September 18th of 2017, and its British operations entered administration in February 2018. One month later, in March 2018, the company announced that it would close all of its U.S. and British stores. The British locations closed in April and the U.S. locations in June. But alas, it seems as if there is hope. And just like the company's founder's namesake, it appears to be rising from the dead. As reported by New York Post, Toys R Us has been sold yet again, the latest effort to revive the famous but struggling brand amid a boom in toy sales. The once mighty retailer that filed for bankruptcy protection in 2017 amid mounting debt is now owned by WHP Global, the brand licensing firm that owns Anne Klein and Joseph Aboud. WHP Global acquired a majority stake in True Kids, which owns Toys R Us and Babies R Us, the company said Monday. Financial terms of the deal were not disclosed. Quote, we are thrilled to be taking the reins of the world's leading toy brand at a time when the category is up 16% and consumer demand for toys is at an all-time high, said WHP Chief Executive Yehuda Schmiedman in a statement. This is a natural fit for WHP as we can leverage our global network and digital platform to help grow Toys R Us and Babies R Us around the world, end quote. Schmiedman told CNBC he plans to grow the 70-year-old retailer founded by Charles Lazarus and made famous by its mascot Jeffrey the Giraffe by opening physical stores again. But the hurdles to doing this are greater than ever because the gap left by Toys R Us once the nation's 
biggest toy seller, has since been filled by big box retailers like Walmart and Target, as well as e-commerce giant Amazon. Quote, Toys R Us is one of the greatest brands in the world, said Gerald Storch, who was once chief executive of the company. But the challenge is that the market share is already divided up between Amazon, Walmart, and Target, end quote. Schmiedman, who previously tried to buy the brand out of bankruptcy, according to sources, has been vice chairman of True Kids since 2019. His firm is backed by a $350 million equity commitment from funds backed by Oak Tree Capital Management and by BlackRock. The Toys R Us and Babies R Us brands were bought by private equity investors Solus Alternative Asset Management and by Ares Management, which had hoped to resurrect the chain by opening smaller stores throughout the country before the plan was sidelined by the pandemic. Two stores in New Jersey and Texas that had opened in 2020 were quietly shuttered in 2021. The vast majority of True Kids revenues are derived from licensing fees abroad, where Toys R Us and Babies R Us generate more than $2 billion in sales from some 900 stores and e-commerce sites in Canada, Asia, Africa, and the Middle East, according to WHP. NYPost.com Well, I for one think that that's great news. However, if Toys R Us does manage to open new stores, say in California, things might look a little different than you or I may remember it. As reported by the Sacramento Bee, California's large retailers would have to do away with boy and girl signage for toys and childcare aisles under a bill being considered by state lawmakers. Assembly Bill 1084 would require retailers with 500 or more employees, quote, to maintain undivided areas of its sales floor where the majority of those items being offered are displayed, regardless of whether an item has traditionally been marketed for either girls or for boys, end quote. The bill would also prohibit the use of signage to indicate whether a particular child care item or toy is for boys or girls. Online retailers with a physical presence in California California would be required to label their toy and childcare sections in a unisex or gender-neutral way. The bill, which if passed would go into effect January 1st, 2024, contains a provision to punish violating retailers with a $1,000 civil penalty. The bill is co-authored by Assemblyman Evan Lowe, Democrat from Campbell, who chairs the California Legislative LGBT Caucus, and Assembly woman Christina Garcia, Democrat from Bell Gardens, who chairs the California Legislative Women's Caucus. A previous version of the bill was introduced in 2020, but was pulled at Lowe's request because the legislature was grappling with a then-ascendant COVID-19 pandemic. Lowe said that he was inspired by Target's 2015 decision to abolish gendered kids' sections. He said, quote, As much as I'd like to think of this as a watershed legislation. This is something the industry is already doing. We're just trying to play catch up. 
end quote. Lowe said he also took inspiration for the bill from a staffer's nine-year-old daughter who wanted to know why she had to go into the boys' aisle to find science-related toys. He said, quote, that was the impetus of this, which is how do we make a safe space today for children in society, end quote. Lowe said the bill is especially important as children begin to return to school as coronavirus-related closures come to an end. It's important to provide them with a positive experience that lets them shop without stigma, he said. He likened the bill to several new California laws that prohibit retailers from marking up items marketed to women, mandating that corporations appoint women to their boards of directors, and establishing gender-neutral bathrooms. Lowe said, quote, that's our agenda. Those are our California values, and that's our agenda, end quote. Lawmakers had helped crafting the language of the bill from Rob Smith, founder and CEO of The Fluid Project, a gender-free fashion brand. In an interview, Smith said, quote, fashion and gender is just like everything else. It's always changing and evolving, end quote. AB 1084 helps children be more expressive of their own identities, he said. Smith acknowledged that the bill would likely face critics, but said it isn't taking anything away from anyone. He said this is just part of the process by which society gradually changes. Quote, I just want to remind people we're always in a state of unlearning and relearning. End quote. SACB.com. Well, it sounds to me like no matter how you look at it, the newly rebranded potato head is going to be just fine no matter where you put him or her or it. But all kidding aside, it's interesting to note that these lawmakers are doing their best to create a safe space for children to shop for toys. When I can recall a time that kids who played with certain toys back in the day risked hurting more than just their feelings, and so can Richard Roper of Chicago Sun-Times, who writes, just a short while ago, like back in February, if you posted a photo of Mr. Potato Head reading a book by Dr. Seuss, you would most likely have received relatively innocuous comments along the lines of, cute throwback pic, I had both of those as a kid, or, I don't get it, why is a potato reading a book, what's the message? Post that same pic today and you'll start a Twitter war. Of course, Hasbro didn't actually change Mr. Potato Head's gender or take the Mr. from its name nor did the Biden administration have anything to do with Seuss Enterprises pulling six books from its catalog. Hysterical reactions aside, seeing Mr. Potato Head and Dr. Seuss all over the news got me to thinking about other toys and games with roots in the 20th century that would be problematic today, not due to political or social implications, but because they were dangerous and or stupid. Hey kids, how would you like to learn about the industrial process of vacuum forming. The Vacuform by Mattel was a metal machine with a hot plate on which you would place a piece of plastic that could be molded into forms such as a plane or a dolphin. That's right, you'd plug it in, warm it up, and start heating plastic. From Mattel's 23-page instruction booklet, quote, allow the Vacuform to warm up for 10 minutes. When your Vacuform is new, the heating chamber will 
smoke for 5 to 10 minutes the first time you turn it on. This is perfectly normal. End quote. In the same vein as the vacuum form, there was the Little Lady Hot Stove, which looked like something out of a tenement apartment in a Nelson Algren novel, and reportedly generated more powerful heat than an actual full-size kitchen stove, and Creepy Crawlers, which afforded the little ones the chance to pour a substance called Plastigoop into metal molds shaped like bugs and bake them until the noxious fumes filled the air. How about those lawn darts, aka jarts? Even as kids, we knew it was a bad idea to play a version of horseshoes with small plastic round hoops as targets and lawn darts with weighted metal tips. A study in the 1980s found that over an eight-year period, more than 6,000 people had sustained injuries from lawn darts. Half 10 or younger. David Snow of Riverside, California, successfully lobbied the Consumer Product Safety Commission to ban the various lawn dart games. In 1987, Snow's seven-year-old daughter, Michelle, had been killed when a lawn dart went sailing into Snow's front yard and struck Michelle in the skull. Horrific. At least the six-finger was just dumb, not potentially lethal. The boys in the TV ad chanted, Six-finger! Six-finger! Six Finger. The Six Finger was an index finger looking toy you'd hold in your hand to make it appear as if you had six digits. And the fake finger could fire projectiles. Quote, it's a secret weapon at your fingertip growled the ad's narrator, fires cap-loaded bombs and they explode, end quote. Imagine some kid in 2021 walking into class and pointing his six-finger at classmates. The student would be sent home, the parent would write a 1,000-word post on Facebook, cable news would run with it, and off we'd go with the latest controversy. How about clackers? This was basically a kid's version of bolas, a weapon of choice for Argentine gauchos. Take two solid, heavy acrylic balls, attach them to a leather string, and have the children swing the balls this way and that, making a loud clacking sound whenever they connected. Occasionally, the balls would shatter or crack, and pieces would go flying, or you'd just smash yourself in the face with them. I'm surprised we didn't see these used as a weapon in Kill Bill, Volume 1. And last but not least, Slip and Slides. The urban legend in my neighborhood was that some kid had done a belly flop on one of these cheap backyard water slides and landed right on a pair of hedges. Never confirmed that one, but Whammo recalled millions of slides in the late 1990s after eight people suffered serious injuries due to sudden stops on a slip and slide. The Consumer Product Safety Commission recommends that only children use the product as larger people could sustain back and neck injuries. And if our parents told us to stop playing with the vacuum form or the clackers or the six finger and get out of the house, we could always run down to the corner park and fly around on the monkey bars over a good two inches of sand, go way too fast on the rusty merry-go-round, or climb the piano slide, a large metal contraption shaped like a piano opened at a dangerous angle. The hottest temperature ever registered on Earth was 134.1 degrees on July 10th, 
1913 in Death Valley, California. That's only because we didn't have thermometers with us as we climbed the surface of the piano slide in the summer of 1972. Chicago.suntimes.com And so that I can leave this one on a happy note, no pun intended, I'm gonna go ahead and cut this one short right here, and you'll have to tune in next time for a discussion about cartoons and the whole Pepe Le Pew thing. I know, I know. Ain't I a stinker? For the ACR, I'm Adam Clark, and this has been The Daily Ruckus for Monday, March 15, 2021. For more information, please visit alternatecurrentradio.com.